0: Hi, I'm Jen Brooks. And I'm Bianca LaRue, and this is Baby in the Wings. And today we are talking with Rachel Spencer Hewitt, and she is not only an actress and a mama, she is also the founder of PAL, which is Parents Artists Advocacy League. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Can't speak today (laughs) because I'm a mom and have no no words. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for being here. So excited to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so glad that I it know. worked out. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to give you a little rundown of yeah. myself. Yes, a little yes bit of background, Everything you shared. Yeah, so I'm an actor by trade. Um, I went to the Yale School of Drama, and then I went straight to New York and, you know, performed on Broadway, all over the country. And um, when I became a parent, long story short, realized that there's this gaping hole in terms yes. of support that's available. Um, but I also learned that there are some folks who had been providing support for decades and other folks who were saying it's not possible. And I realized, ah, what we need is a network. We need a hub where these things can grow and thrive in the right direction. Um, and I'm also an entrepreneur because I'm not uh, shy and I don't keep it a secret that in order to pay the bills, we have to do all the other things. So um, I also run my own marketing. That's agency. awesome. Oh, and what is that
2: called? <clears throat> what uh, Rachel okay. Media.
1: It's at rachelmedia.org. And I have two kids. They are six yeah. and eight. We just moved back to New York and we're loving Yay, it.
0: Welcome back. Where, 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 where were <laughs> Thank you? Thank you.
1: All over the country. So for my, my husband's job, my, my friend whose husband was a Navy SEAL was like, you move more than I do. Yes. <laughs> I've moved every two or three years since I was in college. So Chicago, Ohio, Philadelphia. Yeah. That's That's hard to like
0: grow roots and make connections and do all that stuff. So I'm sure PAL has helped do that.
1: That is an excellent way to put it because I started PAL while living in Chicago. There was a woman there named Lydia Millman Schmidt who had started Parents in Chicago Theater and was like growing this network. And I was like, how do we connect these things? Um, And it was really because I felt both tethered to my space and disconnected from the world at large. And for an artist, it's like, it's who you know, it's the rooms you're in. I'm like, I can't get into any of these rooms. I can't even leave my own. (laughs) Um, And the fact that, like, I couldn't grow community because I knew any friends I made would be different every two years. Um, You know, we also didn't have to pivot during the pandemic because it all became virtual. But it really did start with how do we build community to exchange these resources and to create access to connection and, and like grow roots somewhere. Like like a portable greenhouse. Mm. So to speak. It's interesting
0: that you said yeah. um, about gathering the resources and that there were none, and yet there were some. Because Jen and I have talked about this a lot. That so her son is two, and my oldest is twelve, and so, um, and I worked all through my pregnancy, and you know was working directly after. Actually, Jen would come with me to auditions and hold Lily while I was in the room, so. Um, but it, a lot of the conversations that Jen was having just recently after having her son were the same conversations I was having with people 12 years ago. Yeah. And um, yeah. that's actually a lot of what we wanted to talk to you about. Like, I mean, obviously, we want to hear about your journey of being a mother um, and like how you've kind of balanced all the things and being an artist and a mom. But also really talk to you about um, Pal and exactly how you how you share these resources and what you do, like what kind of services you provide or, and also you're also an equity rep, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, a central regional board member. Um, and I am also co-chair of the working group for caregivers. So we're working on some internal, initiatives and it's awesome because yeah we, good because we we have questions
0: <laughs> i'm actually kind of
1: glad like we have questions that this yeah. like lined
0: up the way that it did because now we've interviewed quite a few people now and the the mm-hmm. the experiences are so varied it is some people have had yeah. the most welcoming wonderful i was holding my baby in the audition room while belting experiences yep. and then um like ellen who was our first guest I mean, she she got written up for her daughter being at the, yeah. the theater when it was an emergency. Yeah. So, we're just excited to talk about all this with you.
1: Let's dive into let's all die. of it because I know exactly to talk about. <laughs> so, okay, let's let's start from the top of your question. So, we talked about you know twelve years versus two years mm-hmm. ago. Okay, um, I will say the long and the short of it is that we have seen incredible progress, in large part due to our community's efforts, um, in the last five years. Um, to where when PAL started, it was like, you need to talk to so-and-so, like this whisper network of people who knew leaders, who had created safe and supportive spaces, um, Moxie Theater in California, Ariana Smart Truman with the Elevator Repair Service, you know, these are just some, Hana Sharif um, is one of the great gra- groundbreakers, this whisper network at five years ago. But then there are people who were very loud and vocal about this isn't possible, this isn't legal um you can't do this and then there are people who are getting fired for being pregnant and slipping me private messages mm-hmm. and multiple folks saying like i need to call you it all started with a blog auditioningmom.com and we'll, we'll get into that but that's where these messages started pouring in and i was like oh this is way more serious than just um y- you know like how am i going to continue working this is an entire industry covering up the fact that we're we're breaking rules we're breaking laws and we're breaking people's careers so um, five years ago it was really about just breaking the silence which is why pal's first year was dedicated to motherhood breaking the silence and just getting really loud we said that the solutions exist in the stories of our need we launched in three cities that first year and really just did a campaign promoting people's stories they've all been gathered and some are still coming in but it's now called the Reproductive Reckoning Project, which we packaged this year. Um, and it's stories of pregnancy discrimination, um, people being fired, people you know, in costume design, in the back of the shop, being told, well, now your career's over. All of these like um, her- workplace harassment stories that we really want people to be aware of. Fast forward to five years later, and now what we're finding is that people feel more confident talking about it because there is a community surrounding the conversation um it is still too hard in my opinion to find out who are the institutions and people supporting um, parents and caregivers so we're working on creating a pal list and a pal um, award system where we can like rank people's um, caregiver support Um, but what we are finding is that when folks will reach out and say like i need a child care stipend or a caregiver stipend other people the people aren't surprised on the other end and in many cases they're like Oh yes we'd love to work with you we've been trying to start something like this so that's the good news around it um we still have you know quite a lot to go but um we work on this like every day (laughs) um and and so yeah to answer your question 12 years ago i think it was um career ending and silencing and five years ago it was disruptive and now it's just gaining ground it's just the path it's so crazy crazy because i really
0: I mean, you're not joking. Like some of the stuff that I went through, no. even when I just, I, when I first got yes. engaged, um, I thought, you know, because in the normal world, like people get engaged and people are excited for them. I got engaged and the first thing my um, manager said to me was, don't wear your rings to auditions. You look unavailable. And being, <laughs> being you know, the like 20 something uh, kind of smart ass I was, I said, well, I'm not available to fuck, but I'm available to work. So yeah. that's the difference. And so and it's and I ended up actually booking a lot of bride stuff so it was kind of funny like it was kind of <laughs> a slap in her face. I was like, "Haha." Uh-huh. Um but it's really interesting that there really wasn't a place for women starting families, getting married, taking time out for personal things cuz the second I got pregnant there was a, that next steamroll of, "Well, you're just of getting course. momentum. Why would you do that?" Why and I'm like, how about congratulations? Cause I miscarried two months ago and now I'm pregnant again and I'm really happy about it. Like there was none of that. And, um, it's been, it was a real, it was a real, and even directors when I was on set when, um, and, and other actors, like there was this one actor who was so like, you know, he was a big wig on a show. He was so rude, just awful to me. And it's like, it really, it's not, people act like these were like oh you know stories that just happened they really happened like you were treated very differently for being a woman who actually like moved forward in her life um as far as her personal life so absolutely um,
1: they really happened they happen all the time they have devastating Mm -hmm. consequences and the reason why it has taken so long to build momentum i believe is because we needed social media and the internet like many other movements to say when i stick my story out there you're gonna have a really hard time deleting my post even if you delete me from your rolodex yep. in the industry and that's the sticking point the sticking point and which is why we created the reproductive reckoning project where we're like we've got five years of stories we're gonna stick them all on a single page and you read through it and suddenly it's like oh, it's not that really sad thing that happened to my friend who, gosh, I wish they were doing theater still. It's it's endemic, like it is rife throughout our system. And you mentioned something that like we have to talk about when we talk about parent discrimination and caregiver discrimination. It is not a separate issue. It's not a separate conversation. All of these things are interconnected to, we don't know how to talk about grief. We don't know how to take talk about taking time away to grieve a miscarriage, to grieve, um, to grieve the loss of a parent that you've been caring for. It's tied to sexual harassment because that's about ownership of someone's Mm -hmm. body and commenting on someone's body and commenting on like, are you available? Are you, is your body gonna change? Why would you do that? You look so good. Like all of these conversations are tied to the fact that as an industry, there's white supremacy, there's misogyny, there's bias. And when it comes to bodies that reproduce and it comes to people with caregiving and family responsibilities, they are, at best, a liability and, worst case scenario, an opportunity for harm and abuse. And it's not okay. So that's why we brought solutions so, into yeah, so the conversation.
2: <laughs> is, there, is there anything either currently or being worked on? Because you talk about um, sexual harassment and all that stuff. And obviously, over time, laws and rules have been put into place either by unions or by, you know, the government about you know discrimination and all that is there anything currently in yes. the books oh. for discrimination yeah. against okay d- discrimination against parents or we, caregivers this is why we're so excited to stop. talk to you because yes. we want
0: that we want the facts
2: yes. i got the scoop, okay, go. got scoop.
1: Go. all right and so i'm going to be n- name dropping a lot of folks and okay. the reason i'm doing this is because anyone listening to this conversation when i drop these names of folks who are doing the work throw your support behind them honor them, when you see them, tell them thank you. Um, I said Powell has a shared leadership structure of four incredible individuals. Um, well, three incredible colleagues for me to work with. One of them is Adriana Gaviria, who has been an advocate for work-life balance in general for a very long time. She is co-artistic director of the Soul Project um, and was also an equity delegate at the one and only delegation, national delegation that they had and something that Adriana has been working on for years, um, but has actually pushed through uh, relatively rapidly considering the way um, unions are structured and how fast you're allowed to move, um, is a motion that will require all staff, all business reps, all members, all council people to undergo reproductive sexual harassment prevention training and gender discrimination prevention training that means all of these stories that we have in the reproductive reckoning project that um, she was significantly part of, she's our executive director of technology and innovation. Um, all of these stories that we've gathered, we get to show them, we get to show Adriana's motion, which passed with over 95% approval rate, equity has to put in motion. And so those are the conversations we're having right now about uh, application. It's really just about how do we now get this motion into the infrastructure of equity. And so that you don't have a business rep call (laughs) telling someone like, I don't know, just hide your pregnancy. Or I don't know, most pregnant women quit. And it's like, you're who's representing me. This is absolutely unacceptable. Um, Pal also has a group which anyone is welcome to join if they're a member of a union called um, the Union Action Group. And uh, we just met on this topic in June and our next meeting is in August. Um, and we're working to gather stories that have happened very recently so that when we continue to um, push Adriana's project forward, we always have a current story that will show how emergent this conversation is to say, no, this was six months ago. No, this was yeah, yesterday. It's not 12 <laughs> years say. ago. It's
0: also exactly. six months ago. So something needs to happen. All right. That's, right. that's Which part our- of why we
2: wanted to do the podcast to get these stories recorded.
1: Exactly. The positive yeah, ones
2: and the negative ones, but all of them. Sure,
1: but but like, we, like I said at the beginning, our solutions exist in the stories of our need. This is not complaining. Mm-hmm. This is saying there's an industry that I love that has mistreated me. There are other people who don't even have the privilege I have right now to be on this podcast. And if we don't talk about what's wrong, we can't fix it. And so anyone who cares about solutions and going back to making art, will want to make these changes. And like, that is the red flag of of progress is that the people on the periphery start to settle like, oh, thank goodness that like now this motion passes. Like, no, no, now we have to make sure that there's accountability, Mm -hmm. that there's transparency. Once this motion passes and once it gets in, PAL also wants to serve as like, we're gonna keep gathering stories. We're gonna keep coming in and serve as an external resource outside of these organizations, outside of the unions to say, when it comes to parents and caregivers, if we continue to hear stories, we're gonna come back and call you. We have your email address, we're gonna write you so that everything feels relevant. This isn't like a problem that you solve and walk away from. This is about a continued practice of inclusion and support.
0: So then do you know, cause something that obviously, as you said, like we always, like, I think all of us artists have found ourselves as entrepreneurs at different times. Like I've owned a coffee shop, I work in marketing, you know, I've done a bunch of different things. Um, Jen is a hairstylist and like, you know, we, we all have- Hair looks great. She <laughs> just didn't too, so I'm lucky. Um, so, so uh, Yeah, it's, so obviously, and uh, SAG is on strike right now, and so are the writers for the same reason, that like we cannot sustain ourselves with the one job, the piddly residuals, you know, like it's a different lifestyle, it's a different way of freelance supporting yourself. Um, Something that Jen and I had wondered, are there, is there anything through the Actors Fund or Equity or SAG that helps to support
1: mothers or families in that way? There is through PAL. So, not <laughs> Mr. Um, Sun. I will also shout out the Dramatist Guild. Members of the Dramatist Guild um, should know that you are able to apply for some child care and caregiver support. Um, PAL started the first national all discipline child care grants. Um, they have expanded to child care and caregiver grants. And this year we're in the final stages of um, gathering our review team and committee to review this year's um, because they also include uh, postpartum and reproductive support. Um, and then during the pandemic, we switched that child care and caregiver funding to emergency funding, so for artists with families. Um, so we were able to roll out micro grants to support people. Um, where we really see change and where we're supporting change outside of those grants is that we sub- we provide resources and consulting on negotiating it into your contract. Nice. So if you work for an institution... because. It's really just a Band-Aid if these external organizations are supplementing for the lack of support in employment, right? So we're here to do that. We will never stop. But we have a goal of seeing every single performing arts institution have a formalized caregiver support plan in the next year. Oh my God. And we want the ones who do not have it to be the strange ones. We're, we say also no more glory projects, so it is much more effective. For us to continue to have these conversations around create a child care slash caregiver fund that goes on your budget line item under access needs because child care is access caregiving support is access and fundraise for it um, roberta pareda of the playwrights realm another name to drop and for you all to support um, pal partnered with them to do the radical parent inclusion project off broadway where we took a product an off-broadway production And Roberta and I worked for a year going through every single budget line item and making every single one parent and caregiver supportive. Everything from like housing to the fund to five-day rehearsal weeks before it was really catching the mainstream, to taking away the 10 out of 12s, um, doing interviews with folks to onboard them to say like, what do you need, what do you need, what do you need? Um, There is a way for my HR friends to do this legally where you offer the support to everyone so that it's, it's not discriminating up right and that the fund is available to everyone. Um, but what's really significant is not only have they continued to sustain it, but they have also given an example of like PAL is willing to partner with organizations to show them how to develop those funds inside them. And the reason why I was so excited to work with Roberta, we went to school together at the Yale School of Drama and she teaches courses on your budget is your values and you budget your values. And so for us, we want theaters to show us and not just say that they value parents and caregivers. We want them to show it on their budgets. Um, I don't want it on the website until it's on your budget. And then I really do want it on your website. It was
0: actually really interesting. (laughs) This one theater reached out to us for us to start promoting what they were doing. And we said, well, we would love to. Um, Do you have any parents working with you? And they were like, we don't at the moment. If we do in the future, we will reach out. And I was like, wild. My, like, I just could not. I was like the gall that people have to, yeah, a little, uh, yeah, yeah. to like reach out and be like, we want you to support us when you're not supporting us. Like we, right. and, totally. it's, I mean, and it's exactly what you're saying. Like, don't, don't try to say that like you're in on this or you're part of this until you're in on it and you're right. part of it.
1: Exactly. And that's what we mean by, so sorry, but, but just like no more glory yeah. projects. Because when this first came out, people were like, oh, we'll do some support yeah. here. Or we want to do a child care here. Or like, we'll support them for this show. Cool, 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 cool. Get your feet wet. We believe in like the prototype. Yeah. We believe in starting, we'll advise every institution, start small and scale up. Because you're going to learn how it works within your infrastructure fine. But we're now only partnering with organizations who are asking for help, even if they're starting small, to grow it into their ethos. Mm-hmm. To say we actually want this to permeate every single part of ourselves. Can you help us begin? And we'll say like yes, that's where we that's where we start. That's that's when we're willing to promote you, just like you said, because you so us. for
2: someone like me who's in a smaller theater community, like in the San Francisco yeah. Bay Area, if there are theaters that I would like to promote this to and be like, hey, this is going on, and I want you to be a theater that is on board with this. What would you suggest to people in other areas, including myself? To reach out to those theaters and be like, hey, I want to direct you to this conversation so you know what's going on because I didn't know about PAL before we started this podcast. Right. So now I do. Right. So there must be more people that don't know. Neither do I. And we know each other from something completely different.
0: So, like, exactly. it's so weird.
1: <laughs> the bullet, whatever. So here's the thing PAL is uh, composed of a lot of incredible folks who are living this experience and so it still feels Mm -hmm. very grassroots but it that's also partly why it feels um healthy in many ways because we're not just uh there's very little bureaucracy but that means also like not a lot Mm -hmm. of support so the best way to support is to get the word out that this resource exists and that um it's very uh high-end support like it's thorough comprehensive we even have uh, i'll answer your question about the how just to offer the what again we even have trainings like compassion training where we can train boards and leadership on how to understand the lived experience of the parent and caregiver so that there's buy-in from the entire organization so that they can start to creatively problem-solve internally, reduce discrimination. There's also a training on um, anti-racism and caregiver support because it's inextricably linked. You cannot have an anti-racism, an anti-racist organization without caregiver support. I'll go more into that later, but the how of like, oh great, you've got all these resources is I would first see if your, location your region your city has a chief rep which who you i think you've already interviewed our chief rep katherine stein katherine stein also jessica barker is up there also don monique williams is an ambassador um these incredible folks who um who gather and meet with tamania garza another name that i will shout out who is one of the fantastic four we're calling it uh, leadership team director of community and justice initiatives find your chief rep Connect with your chief rep, ask them, hey, what's going on with you, how can I support? Because these are the folks who are hitting the pavement and knocking on doors and sending out the emails and you can really help them um, by by being an ambassador for the cause and saying like, where are you going with it? If there isn't one, write us. We're currently in the process of um, redoing our onboarding plan on like how you can become a chief rep in your own location in your city. And that means you get monthly meetings. We send you resources, we send you a one sheet, we we'll, we will equip you with all the information that you need so you can just shoot off that email and make that connection right um and then i uh, i would also say like if you just like want to get started too start having the conversation call other parents get them together and talk about what it's like in your region connect with your chief rep or pal and we're ready to like help you build that um that network that community is always where it starts yeah, yeah. okay so that's something i could do i could like reach out to say one
2: of the theaters I work here and be like, this is going on. These are the conversations exactly. we're having. I would love for you to be a part of this network. And here's the person that you can contact exactly. in the Bay Area. Exactly.
1: To get on yeah. board. And, and here's some tangibles. Like if you're like, uh, I don't know if they're going like to contact my chief rep and like try to like data mine them for ideas and like do it unpaid, which by the way is happens. And it's so gross. Yes. Yeah, so the three tangibles that you can just like, you know, be a little disruptive right now that are really great. Um, is one you can donate to a theater and you can say this is for your child care caregiver fund courtesy of pal they can help you with it and when you donate they have to earmark it for that cause or they have to give it back so yep. it's one of um, erica lee haynes is our chief rep of tennessee shout out to mania garza uh, is when who kind of like started this initiative and she said just start donating just saying like hey there is funding for this when you speak to your donors they might not understand like stage lights and sets but they're going to understand the burden of child care they're going to understand the burden of caregiving so like donate disrupt a little bit there um,
0: but as Rachel said, it's very important that they specify where that donation exactly. goes. Exactly. Um, because I work in fundraising, and if you specify where you want it to go,
2: they legally have to put exactly. it there. Exactly. Legally, they can't. That's take what
1: it. Tamania says. And so when you, ask- so
2: so again, sorry. What's the language that people should be using for that? Because I'm for the child be care shit.
1: slash caregiver fund, and you say contact Pal or courtesy of Pal or in honor of Pal. Who can help you with any questions?
0: because they have to post it exactly like that or else they can't cash the money.
2: I'm obsessed, okay.
1: And what we love about that is that they have to reach out to us to unlock those funds and we get to tell them yeah. there's more where that came from. We would be happy to like provide you and your board training. And we've showed up at people's galas and help, we showed up at the RPI Gala to help them fundraise for these funds. It's, it's really an untapped resource for theaters when they think about it. The second is on our site, there's something called the new standard of care and it's just a one sheet and it has three pillars of justice, which we're expanding to four um, and 11 principles of action. One, it, the pillars are you cannot have an anti-racist organization without caregiver support. You cannot have gender parity without caregiver support. You cannot support reproductive rights without caregiver support. And the fourth one we're adding is you cannot support disability access without caregiver support. And then it has the action items: start a caregiver fund, do five day rehearsal weeks, get rid of 10 out of 12. Like it's just a list. If they just went down that checklist, it would change the entire breadth and infrastructure of the organization, and that's actually what's scary. But it's part of sustainability. It is the future. So just send them that one sheet. You don't you don't have to do unpaid labor. No more unpaid labor to organizations <laughs> who are not doing their homework. That's like also a slogan for the year. Send them the web, the website link, pal's new standard of care, and say, how many of these are you doing? How many of these? How many, here's the contact your, here's a pal, who can help you like figure them out, go to their summit, they'll train you.
0: You know, it's been, I think it, it's interesting when, when conversations like this come up, a lot of fear yeah. I think is also around it. It's kind of like when Me Too, the Me Too movement happened, like everybody realized how many people had suffered from different situations throughout all different parts of the industry, but a lot of people were quiet for so yeah. long. I mean, like, I mean, 30 years, some of these people, because of the fear that, Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to speak up and nobody's going to want to work with me. Um, I'm going to be the troublemaker. Okay. I'm going to be this. And I think that that same fear exists in motherhood because we don't want to be seen as hard to work totally. with because it's already hard enough to get jobs. And then on top of it, I mean, in any industry, when you're coming back to work after having children. So do you guys have resources to support the people coming out? The people who are, you know, like Jen, who is going to be approaching these theaters. Like, is there training for people like her? Is there training or even support for mothers who you know, are just trying to, like, find that community and get back in? Like, what kind of support do you have for the people, like, the individuals who are trying to be part of the yeah, solution? Yeah, that's
1: a great question, because we'll, we'll get asked sometimes, well, do you help the individuals, do you help the institutions? And the answer is both. Our goal is to be the bridge, mm-hmm. um, because that's really what's missing. Um, and for the individuals, the chief rep program that I mentioned, Tamania runs it with such graciousness and um just such a deep intelligence of the nuance of how to build community and also how to care for yourself um, in that because burnout is so real already with parents so if you're going to like you know champion a cause on top of everything you're drowning in take care of yourself first and foremost which is what we talk about so i think joining the chief rep conversation at pal is a great way to become an advocate and have community at the same time um, but then we also will do uh, one-on-one consultations with folks who are like, "I want to negotiate a contract. What are your resources?" There's also a PAL handbook online. It's free. You do have to enter your email address just so that we make sure that there aren't like hackers like coming into the site. But it's a free resource on um, what discrimination looks like, how to you know sense your company manager. This is what's legally required for a lactation space. This is what would make a lactation space awesome. And just send them the link, just send them the chapter on it. It also has, um, this is one of my favorite resources and I wish more people used it, but it has four rehearsal schedule rhythm templates from four actual equity stage managers who I interviewed and gave me the rhythm on how to create time for lactation that doesn't have to co-opt your equity breaks and still run on an equity schedule. You could literally just send the link to your stage manager and say, I have lactation access needs. Here are four options of how we can run the schedule in the day for me to have a break. And then here's the chapter on lactation. So I think like for an individual to dive into those resources, contact us if you need that one-on-one consultation support. We've helped people negotiate um, childcare, you know, uh, financial support into their contracts and things like that. But then also I really wanna highlight this, this fear element that you mentioned. It's so real because the discrimination is still real, unfortunately. Um, And what I love to encourage people to do, I've talked to people's managers and help them with this and agents, is CC us. Say like, hi, I'd love to talk to you about this thing that happened. I've cc pal who can help us with the conversation and we can act as a witness because discrimination is far less bold when it doesn't have the power of secrecy. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually the people you're afraid of have more power than you in that institution. Um, they're taking away your agency and a way that we can we can help out with that is just to monitor the email thread and just watch how they engage with you. Um, and then if they' if they're still behaving badly, um, say here that you need to talk to this organization directly because I'm done educating you for free. Um, okay. Do you have legal
0: counsel? Is that like so what do you guys have as far or legal
1: um, support? So we have an employment lawyer on our board who has helped advise okay. and establish a lot of these things. We always, if there is like a, a, a law broken, we always recommend people formally file the EEO report. Um, that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, Work-life law is an organization that we direct people to. It is a free hotline for pregnancy and parenting and um, caregiver discrimination of lawyers around the country. Um, and so these are folks who we, you know, we never want to act as the legal counsel. We act as a witness. Right. Um, we act as like guards. We act as support. We act as community. And then once a the law is broken, we're like file your EEO, contact Work like Law, and and ask for their legal advice because they're certified.
0: Awesome. I love that you guys have all of these resources. So... I'm so intense over there. Like, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> That's why I'm not saying anything. I'm just like soaking up everything. I'm like okay, I'm in.
1: I'm... Yeah
0: you know it's it's the the part that i don't think we expected i think we expected like you know hardship stories and and um oh it was really hard to schedule this and know oh, it was this but when you start no. actually put, putting it all together all these stories of i wasn't able to work because of this or i had to do yeah. this or someone said this to me and we started like looking at all of these stories and it's Look, Unreal. It yeah, really, and, and we haven't, and it's not that many people. Like I think, what? Uh,
2: how many people will be? We? We're currently on episode eight, but.
0: but, <laughs> no, but we interviewed yeah, more There's
2: like that. twelve oh, yeah, stories yeah, yeah. per person got so
1: eight. eight nice Let me yeah. see. But Reproductive that's... reckoning. Let me just count how many stories like we we could get out and publish. Oh, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Uh, 15 that's just that we had time to publish oh this is a good time to talk about this so because of this we've been pulling these with like these these surveys and like share your discrimination stories we'll keep them anonymous what folks are willing to put their name on it um there's there's easily a hundred of them we also created and launched through honestly for honest it started when pal started so we're going into the sixth year of just trying to carry this massive project through but we finally closed our first round of the Radical Care, the big survey of care pipeline project, where it was a 30-minute survey, deep diving the nuance of the experience of the parent caregiver um, in the performing arts, including folks who had left the business, which we felt was were stories that were, this is why people don't think it's that big of a deal, because you are like, yeah, it's hard, but I'm making it. Those are the people who like are barely surviving and are privileged enough to like stay in, and they're embarrassed to tell you that they're drowning. There, what about all these other people who have left because of pain, harm, financial distress, fi- like financial drowning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, grief that you didn't let them process, so now they have trauma. Okay, so we created this survey. It was like everyone come back to the table, everyone come and share your story, everyone enter enter your answers on this sheet. We had over 1,200 responses, over 500 completed. Um, submissions and we are meeting doing another meeting with our data analysis person these people are so smart in August so that we can release the results of this survey which I do think will be a great opportunity for folks to, like we're talking about to see the massive scale of this harm and the hardship because we keep seeing it anecdotally as one-offs and You really cared about the survey to say, okay, now it's time to gather them all into one place so that you can see the tip of the iceberg is even larger than you anticipated it to be. We've, you know, brushed
2: across the top of equity stuff in your relationship with that. What about SAG?
1: Oh, so I'm like not even SAG. I was such a theater baby. I dove in. But I I do want to speak to some other unions first, and then we'll talk about SAG. So speaking of that in um, space, I want to shout out AGMA. Um, AGMA is a group of folks who have done some really wonderful work with lactation rights. Um, I want to shout out the folks at IATSEE who have a wonderful internal group. Um, I'm going to say that we worked with them a little bit, but not as much as another organization. Who I'm going to shout out. Can you explain what
0: each of these are for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah. Because I just recently learned what IOC I'm, was. I'm going to
1: make sure that I get AGMA right because um, American Guild of Musical Artists, yes, they're different from 802. Um, we did a, a AMA kind of compassion training session with them. Um, we're able to you know, support a lot of their conversations about what they're moving forward. I want to just support that AGMA from the top is doing a lot of the work and shout out to them. Beautiful work with the uh, lactation initiatives. Um, then IATSE, I want to get this right because- That's like crew and- International Alliance of weeks. Theatrical Stage Employees. And so this is a union where um, theater and film overlap. There are folks who are able to work through both um, in their union. Um, and I have met with a group internally that is doing amazing work and raising amazing conversations around family leave. Um, and family support there. We did start talking about lactation and we did start talking about um, childcare funds and funding. Um, At this point though, when it comes to SAG, I am gonna shout out someone who you probably should interview if you wanna just like dip a toe here, um, which is Akima Brown, who is the founder of our sister organization, Real Families for Change, and they do what we do for screen workers. So SAG, AFTRA, IATSE, um, they do incredible work with like the consultation, the initiatives, not everything from like the childcare conversation, like we do to the caregiver, um, to a really holistic inclusion of care and, and, and rights for the work. Yeah. If you are actually
0: like buddies with her in any yes. way, if you want to give us a connect, um, because that's actually some thing. of that that's on our list because we, and this was it, we, we, have the same goal with the podcast, which is to bring all the stories together in one place so that, and continue to promote those stories. Like, yeah, we thought it would be fun to like talk to other moms, but like I said, the more stories that we've gotten, the more we've heard from mothers and just the, I don't think people realize that it is. And daddies too. And daddies too, and daddies too. But also like, yeah. yeah, yeah, just anybody who, you know, is prioritizing a life outside of acting. And we were just talking, we just, we just interviewed a burlesque dancer who's fantastic. Um, We have spoken to filmmakers, we've spoken to uh, writers, writers, everyone, anybody who we have noticed is really trying to have a life outside of the arts is treated as the other. Because if you're not, and I know this was true Mm -hmm. for, I think Rachel, I think you're a little younger than the two of us, but we, um, at least when we were growing up and when we first started pounding the pavement back when there were black and white headshots. Um, For reals. Um, I just aged (laughs) us a lot, but it's true. Um, It just, it wasn't part of the conversation. You were either an actor or you weren't, you were a musical theater person, or you weren't, you you couldn't have a backup plan, you couldn't have another job, you weren't allowed to be anything outside of that because then no one took you seriously. For sure.
1: And I kind of touched on this with the entrepreneur drop, like I don't get paid at POW, it's volunteer. We don't have any employees. These folks, Tamania, I didn't mention Garley Cornelia Jones who runs the Black Motherhood and Parenting New Play Festival, which is going on its third year and has had a baby on the sidewalk and has been writing about this conversation for a very long time, incredible human being, go support them and her. Um, well, but this is so much a part of the conversation where all of us are working full time somewhere else. If we're coming Mm -hmm. to you with a need, it is because it took all of our resources to meet you there. So when you meet us with, I have no resources to give, that is deeply hard to believe because we're starting Mm -hmm. to tap into negative resources just to educate you. Um, And that's all of us, not just Powell, that is every single person with an access need. And then on top of that, the absolute lie of the single artist and like abandoning the multi-hyphenate or like the multi-need is rooted in the opportunity for someone with power to not give you rights because they don't actually have to give an actor rights. They only have to give an actor rights if they're a human being. And if mm-hmm. you start to become more complex than just your discipline, and say like, well, I'm a human being with needs, they have to fulfill those, and that's way more expensive. So it's cheaper for them to shame you into a box, because then you're like, oh yeah, how do I even talk about this thing that I need that I left at the door? Because they told me it was baggage, and leave your baggage at the door, which is like one of my least favorite <laughs> rehearsal phrases. Um, oh, no, no, it's not this. it's not baggage. It's the supplies in your life that you need to live. So bring it into the room, unpack it and say like, hey, I'm a little short on shampoo. I'm a little short on childcare funds. I'm a little short on X, Y, Z. Um, just yeah, a huge shout out to that. Don't let anyone shame you for doing other things that keep you alive.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we've all been a part of the problem at some point sure. because I know that I've thought of these things in the past and I'm like, theaters don't have the money to help someone like me. They don't, they're barely scraping by and therefore granting them. Yeah. and.
1: It- excuses Sure. And, and, and here's the reality theaters are struggling many are dying many are gone and so the fear around access needs is deeply rooted in the fact that resources and time are already behind so if I come to you with an access need you're like I'm surprised I, I was able to show up at work this morning how the heck am I supposed to help you which is why we do compassion training because actually what it does is it flips the script And we say, an access need is an opportunity to invest in an individual who's gonna help your sustainability as well. It's because our systems were created with such broken structures that right now in times of need, they're falling apart. I mean, the nonprofit system in this country in general, we don't have time to go into, but it's broken. And so the conversation around how do we welcome our community in is going to become a conversation if we care for our community and they come in our community will help lift us up and but that takes risk that takes bravery that takes leadership with lived experiences that are not hyper privileged it takes folks realizing yeah i know i'm here because i was supported so how do i create a cycle of support by welcoming others in and i think that's why we can both empathize with The the dangerous and terrifying place that the the industry is in right now, and still say, I'm going to hold you accountable because actually it's the only way you're going to survive is if you create ways to let us in.
0: Now, do you feel like that has changed over the years um, as we have become kind of more separate in our lives. I feel like community is not the same as it once was. I think that people, you know, went out to the theater in their local communities, that people did things, you know, to be part of the neighborhood, to be part of, um, because I know like where we grew up, uh, we grew up in Marin, but out in a little hippie town where, you know, When somebody's band was playing, everyone went. When people were in a show, everyone came out to the theater. It was just, and that's why the theaters could survive, and that's why the theaters could support other things. Now, life has changed, obviously. It, It happens. It's no one's fault. In some ways, like you said, social media and having that access to being able to post everything has made it easier in some ways and done great things, but do you think that also some of that community is what is lacking, and how do you think we can fix
1: that? Well, it's exactly this. That community is lacking because that community was part of a generation as children and the theater said, you're not allowed in here. And now that they have jobs and money, the theater's like, why aren't you buying tickets? Like, I don't know. You've never been a part of my life before. So you wanna continue to watch your audiences age and grow older? Don't be intergenerational. You wanna invest in a community that is going to be sustaining you as they get older and get jobs and come back and buy your tickets, let them in when they want crayons. They're cheaper. (laughs) And and like, that's what's so shocking to me is we, we continue to fail to make the connection between we lack intergenerational patronage to our theaters and we lack intergenerational support inside our theaters. Guess where they find us by feeling like they belong. And if we have only let people belong, When they are adults who can contribute productively. They're going to get exhausted and leave, or they're going to just age out and go where the caregivers are. And if the caregivers are not in the theater, they're going to leave the theater. But if we want people to Mm -hmm. cycle in, we say, come in as a child, come in as a teenager, come in as an adult, come in as an adult with needs. Great, because I hope that I see you and your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' grandkids and everyone coming through this theater and thinking this space is theirs and having that community attachment. Because actually from a marketing perspective, what mm-hmm. we're finding is that post pandemic, people are more likely to buy tickets when they either see themselves in an environment that is also racially and personally, psychologically safe and or they know someone, they have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so what, what all of us in all of these grassroots movements, not just parent and caregiver are trying to say is we are knocking on your door, like I said, because this is what's gonna help you survive. Let us in, help us out, feed us. We're going to be bringing people with us. And, and like, mm-hmm. it's gotta be done in a scalable way. It's gotta be done in a sustainable way. Like I said, start small and then grow with like an educated plan from your prototype. But it's not a conversation of, we'll let the caregivers and parents in once we become financially stable. It's we're going to become financially stable when we start letting people in who can grow our community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that has to include leadership. Exactly. It has to include leadership. Right. Are you like bringing leaders in who are parents? Are bringing leaders in who are BIPOC folks and then creating the board and community support around them? Different, bigger conversation too, but yeah. But it's absolutely but it's true. Support. That's how community grows. Yes. That's how audiences grow.
0: And also as you were saying, like, um, when they see themselves in it. So if people don't see that there are mothers in the community, if they don't see that there are caregivers in the community, then those people who are mothers and caregivers are not gonna want, think that they can be part of that community. So we need to see ourselves. It's, it's, it's
2: representation. We're irrationally elitist and yet we're trying to not be
1: and- Say that again. (laughs) Irrationally (laughs) elitist. Like who- What do we think we're making here that is allowed to exclude people? It's about the human experience. It's hard to do without human beings.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation considering that they're
2: trying to AI the fuck out of...
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And part part of (laughs) the surprise around, wow, when I post this, my friends who are not in the arts are like, what's the big deal? That's right. Oh, my gosh. Well, but let's have a conversation about the fact that like, well, yeah, because we aren't letting human beings in the space be human beings. They're going to have a hard time understanding, like, why do you need to be a human being now that you're having contract negotiations? And it's so necessary.
2: We better start letting them in now because when AI goes to film and TV, guess what's going to start thriving again?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Theater. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's the thing. You can't AI theater. It has to, like, inherently, definitively, has to have a live, present body.
0: You know what? We were just talking about this, though, like, an hour ago, because um, Jen and I have been doing... This has been a marathon day for us. <laughs> so we've gotten to have, like, all the fun conversations. But something that I noticed during the writer's strike in... I want to say... Was it 2007? Yeah. That's about right. the exact year. Yeah, because I, I was, like, newly married. Um, I feel like it's not only... Yes, it's parents in general, but it's also the parents who aren't of that percentage of, like constantly working actors Actors. or bigger names or whatever and the people that are going to suffer most in when people do come back to theater are those same that same level of actor because what happened during the first writer's strike in new york was that we saw people who were usually taking uh supporting roles taking guest stars guest stars taking co-stars co-stars taking background work because they had no other option and those of us who were just starting out or didn't have a name yet were just lucky to book i mean i was so grateful for everything yeah yeah seriously and like honestly it was at that point it was all relationships and so your relationships you had if you didn't know casting director you were not getting in and so I think that is a fear is that, you know, yes, once we start doing AIing the whole film industry, those people are going to move to theater. So, what happens to those of us in smaller theaters? What if this isn't become like the standard for right. theaters to work at all times? Not only will it be access issues, but it's going to be more people trying to get the same jobs, and mothers will be completely like blocked yeah. out. 100% because it's just and easier. And let, let
1: me give the spark of hope here. So, um, you know, in our marketing classes at school, that's actually also what I went to school for, uh, they talked about how it's the smaller companies more likely to take the risk, right? Because mm-hmm. they're like, if we can't grow if we don't leap. We, if we lose 100%, it's still not that big of a number on like the grand scale. Smaller companies take the risk. That has also been tried and true proven with creating support for access needs and I will just speak right, it's for all of them that I will speak right now to Parenting and Caregiver Support. I'm gonna shout out Rivendell Theater in Chicago as well. Everyman um, on the East Coast who's also doing this um, and has done this. These are theaters that have, uh, uh, Arianna Smart Truman of Elevator Repair Service, when I asked her, I said uh, in, in our interview, I was like, how did you become so radical? I mean, this was five, six years ago in their contract. It said, you could have your child and a caregiver travel with you up to the age of two on their dime or when you, until you start, stop breastfeeding or lactating, something like radical, like in your contract, you're just like, oh my gosh, sign, thank you. And I was like, how did you like get to that point where like all these people say, no, it's not possible. And she said, well, we were becoming parents while we were building the company. And so that for us to build and grow, it just became part of our ethos, asking the question, what do you need? And to me, that is the question that will save our future. The industry, the art, the conversation on parents and caregiving. If you are worried that you're causing parents and caregivers harm or you don't know where to start, ask the question, what do you need? You'll be surprised how much gets unlocked for you in just that conversation. But by asking that question, she said that it became baked into the ethos of their organization. And yep. also Inika Cedar, who is a researcher with Wellesley Centers for Women, works at MIT now, um, is the research mentor on our PAL survey, absolutely incredible. Um, I interviewed her way, 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 way back because Wellesley Centers for Women did this um, massive research study on, on women leadership in Lort resident theaters. And when they did like the first, I, I mentioned this one all the time because it was foundational for starting PAL. Um, But when they did the first round of like this massive survey um, with Carrie Perloff across the country, um, it came back and they were talking about obstacles for women leadership and caregiving and parenting wasn't mentioned. And they were like, that's not right. (laughs) So they're like, go back, do interviews. They're like, as researchers, when the date is (laughs) off, like you have to like deep dive. And they found even in interviewing people and saying like, we want your story at at that point in our evolution and trajectory, People were terrified to even tell anonymously the researchers about what they had experienced because they said it was yep. such a liability. I mean, you know, people even mm-hmm. asking like, "What's your childcare plan?" in an interview, and it's illegal. So they went back. They interviewed these folks, and after like hearing this full story, I asked Inica at the time. This was like when I was doing my auditioningmom.com blog that turned into Pal Theater. I said, "If institutions could do one thing." What is it? And what she said to me that day is still the one thing we tell them to do just to get started. And she said, you have to take the obligation of seeking and providing support off of the individual and onto the institution. And the reason is because the institution, even if it's just two people, has more numbers than the person with access needs, has more resources no matter how tight they are than the single individual with access needs, and is responsible for that person's ability to work within that infrastructure. And so you are responsible for providing the resources in order for that person to work with access. And so take responsibility is the number one step. The education, the learning, the figuring out how to make it financially sustainable can only come after you do that.
0: Absolutely, that's a great point.
2: What's passed through your corridors in terms of maternity leave? Yeah oh no
1: <laughs> gosh so the challenge of maternity leave is that it really needs to be family leave and in this country we don't even understand maternity leave yet so broaching the conversation of there can't be gender parity equity and equity in caregiving until all genders are considered caregivers um is uh, feels complex a bit more complex than the system's ready to support um We're one of the worst countries in the world for family leave anyway. So that's why it's also very difficult, even for the theaters and producers who want to provide it to provide it. Um, There's so much I can say about it. Here's what I will say. It's one of the most complex situations, but the most needed. And I know that there are creative solutions such as creating a transition plan, creating fellowships and paid internships where people can come in and support that job and discipline while the person takes time. What I really will encourage people to do is you know, if you don't even qualify as an organization for FMLA or if that person doesn't qualify for FMLA, look at the bare minimum legal provisions that you can provide and find a way to provide that culturally. Find a way to provide that by choice Um, because even to qualify for FMLA, there's so much job privilege that you need to have. What about the people where they only work part-time for you because you're one of four jobs that they have? Um, How are you creating an opportunity for someone new to come in temporary, part-time to borrow some of that salary so you can continue to give some paid salary to the person who's taking time off? Leave them alone. Um, Don't allow anyone to do microaggressions after. Give them training on not discriminating. If the person comes back and say, like, how was your vacation? That's really harmful and offensive. I'm Uh... exhausted. I still bleed into my chair. Um, But what what I will say is do not wait for it to be an emergent situation to have this conversation. Have the conversation with your team, even if you don't have a parent in your team yet, even if you're all like, we're in our early 20s and some of us want a family, but not till our 40s. Rad, I love it. Have the conversation because what you want to do is, remember, it's always more expensive when it's emergent. Mm -hmm. So it's necessary when it's emergent. Don't let that make you shy away. But if you have the conversation now, you can at least get a baseline of like, how can we shift? How can we be flexible? One of the benefits again of having this conversation, you know, to benefit a parent or caregiver is that you're not so benevolent. You're not just giving to this person. Here's your time off. We're doing such a good job creating all this access. That person's access need is making your organization more flexible, more sustainable, more inclusive, more relatable. So you can also just as much as you're like, here is your leave, say thank you for this opportunity to make us the organization that we want to be, to make us have healthy enough conversations and infrastructure that it can flex with the time. Because as we saw with COVID, as we see with this financial situation, there's always going to be emergency situations. Are you in the habit of talking about how to support each other through them, it's going to be easier if you are. That's where I will go with it, because it can be more complicated. But,
0: and as you said, it's about creating the culture right. of leave, the, the culture of the support. Because right. once that's created, you figure
2: out 100%. the rest. 100%, like and you it's said. different
1: by state. So, like, there's not yeah. a lot of advice that could just like be a blanket. But what you can do is start the conversation. Yeah.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. This awesome. has been, Yeah. I have such a fire under my ass right now. Yeah! I
0: mean, I'm ready. Yeah. And when Jen has a fire under her ass, she is like a doer,
2: doer, I mean, doer. I yeah. So. Let's get you linked up
1: with, with more of what Catherine Stein is doing. And
2: Absolutely. To wrap up, how can where can people find you on social media and PAL? Where can they yes. come to find you?
1: We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, formerly known as Twitter, the artist now known as X. And um, we're starting off on TikTok, nothing there, but you'll find us. Um, and it's all at PAAL theater with an RE or at PAAL Performing Arts. And our website is PAAL theater with an RE.com. All the resources I talked about are there, like deep dive, click that menu. There are so many things for you to dive into.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Ah, thank you so much. And I hope that everybody else is as inspired as we are. Please go visit the website. Please follow Rachel and the PAL uh, Foundation. Is that right? League sure. League on yeah. uh, There you go. League on social media and reach out to your local theaters. Love it. Do Love it. to see it. Yeah.
1: Thank you all thank so much. You. All
2: right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us for this very exciting and chock-full-of-information episode of Baby in the Wings. We hope you are as fired up and inspired as we are. Don't forget to visit the Parent Artist Advocacy League's website, that's at p-a-a-l-t-h-e-a-t-r-e.com. It's time to get loud and make some noise and make sure that parents and caregivers are being included in this industry. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at Baby in the Wings. You can email us at babyinthewingspod at gmail.com and listen to us most places you get your podcasts.